Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I am your host, Vincent Shen. It is Tuesday, August 2nd, and joining me from, I think, Boston, right, Dan? Via I'm Skype? in Salem, Mass, actually. So Salem, if you hear any Massachusetts. noises behind me, it's a witch from the 1800s. <laughs> so that is Mr. Daniel Klein, a Fool.com contributor. He's joining us via Skype. Great having you back, Dan. How are you? Thanks for having me. Uh, what, so what's new? Well, let's see. What's new is I'm moving uh, halfway across the country. I'm moving from Connecticut to West Palm Beach, Florida. So the next time we do this, I'll probably be in, you know, sandals and a tank top uh, by by the pool. There you go. That sounds comfortable. Uh, I would not mind having the, you know, ocean breeze in the background on the podcast. You're welcome to visit. (laughs) So listeners, Dan and I have a particularly fun and foolish show for you today. Um, So as part of our kind of pop culture theme week that we're having on Industry Focus, um, our goal with this theme was kind of just to take some storylines from various books, uh, TV shows, films, and then bring them into the Motley Fool world of investing and... Uh, to see what they got right, what they got wrong, and more. So, for our source materials today, first we're going to turn to HBO and uh, a show that aired a few years ago called The Newsroom. And then for the second part of the show, we'd like to talk a little bit about a book from Michael Lewis, who I'm sure a lot of our listeners are familiar with. But uh, for the first topic, uh, from 2012 to 2014, HBO aired three seasons of The Newsroom. And please chime in here, Dan, by the way, if you don't feel like I'm doing the show justice. <laughs> well, so the the big conceit of the newsroom is that Jeff Daniels' character wanted to return cable news from the talking heads and the, the opinion to make it, quote, the correct news, which might mean not the most viewers, not the most money. And basically, as the three seasons play out, you see the sort of money versus integrity battle that really is raging at the, the news networks. I mean, you look at a CNN or an MSNBC and just doing news unless when something huge is happening. Sure, if there's a terrorist attack, people turn in. But on a regular night, just reporting the news with sort of no varnish of opinion doesn't do as well as Fox News. And you can see in the ratings, what is it like, you know, four or five million for Fox News many nights and 800,000? for MSNBC? Yeah, it's a huge discrepancy. Fox News is definitely the clear leader uh, when it comes to the three you know, major cable news networks. You know, so on the, on the newsroom, you basically had that playing out. Jeff Daniels was working with a, a producer, and they were trying to, quote, do the news the right way. And they had a news director, played by Sam Waterston, who was leading that charge. And, you know, the idea was, what's the balance? You know, is it okay to, to put Anthony Bourdain on Sunday nights at 11 when nothing is happening because it's going to draw ratings and it's going to draw an audience? And, you know, as a journalist, there's a whole appeal to me of, you know, we're going to do the news correctly. And I think at full, we do the news correctly. You know, we, we mark our opinion appropriately. We, you know, we generally, when we say it's news, it's news. We don't put a varnish on it. But, of course, everybody has economic concerns, and that's kind of what played out in the backroom, background on the newsroom. Yeah, absolutely. You know, At its core, the story here uh, behind the newsroom, it revolves around this nightly news show. It's a fictional cable network called it's ACN. It's basically Countdown with Keith, o- with Keith Oberman, but yeah. they're, they're not saying that. Exactly. Uh, I was personally actually a huge fan of the show during its original run, and I, I really liked the behind-the-scenes look, uh, granted with plenty of like Hollywood poetic license, of course, at how a news programming comes to be on some of the networks you mentioned, like CNN, Fox News, and the real world. Um, so... We're going to play a short clip here uh, from the show that captures kind of this back and forth that Dan was talking about in terms of doing the news the right way versus, uh, you know, 
maximizing profits for these parent companies. Right. So what's happening here is Sam Waterston's character, Charlie Skinner, who was the sort of crusading news director, has died. And the network, which was owned by the Lansing family, uh, with Jane Fonda playing sort of the matriarch of the family, Leona, they've sold it for sort of pressing financial reasons to Lucas Pruitt, a, a tech billionaire played by B.J. Novak. And of course, what he wants to do is turn the network into the most profitable thing possible, which is a horrifying combination of Gawker and TMZ. And in this clip you're about to hear, you have Leona basically convincing him that he doesn't want to do that, that you know, there's some value in letting the journalists have a piece of the pie. You know, there were times when I thought if I was at Charlie Skinner's funeral, to be because I killed him. You're not fighting with your news director. You're not doing your job. If they're not fighting with you, they're not doing their job. Because the truth is, you don't want the ACN you think you do. If you got it, you'd be like the dog that caught the car. You want the ACN that makes as much money as these naive, financially illiterate journalists will let you make. But if I were you, I would find the one person I know will argue with you until you fire them and keep on arguing with you until security escorts them from the building. You know, so as you can see with that, obviously it's a bit played up, it's a bit dramatic, but it's really the balance. I mean, CNN and MSNBC are both constantly in transition, and it's all put on hold a little bit by the election, which brings new viewers. But after the election ends, what goes on at 10 o'clock on CNN? Do you put a talk show host on? Do you put, you know, Dr. Drew or whatever is going to be the most salacious? Do you, do you pick up Nancy Grace and let her do the, you know, kidnap person? Or do you follow the news even when it's not sexy? And sort of one of the dramas on the newsroom was always, do we lead with the important story, which might be politics or, or military, or do we go to, you know, Kim Kardashian's latest low-cut outfit or whatever people might be most interested in? Yep. So just to uh, step back a little bit, and so listeners can kind of understand what the numbers are and like the actual business impact that some of these networks have. So CNN um, is CNN, MSNBC, and Fox News are part of uh, three bigger entertainment companies or companies overall that I'm sure a lot of our listeners are familiar with. Uh, Fox News, obviously, with 21st Century Fox, MSNBC with NBC Universal, which is under Comcast. And then CNN is under Time Warner as part of their Turner segment. So these networks uh, during prime time, which is kind of like the uh, the ideal evening uh, time slot, they average about three point million uh, viewers, um, and hence you know the show or the evening news show on the newsroom was called Newsnight with Will McAvoy. Um, and daytime totals are weaker for these uh, news networks in general, about two million viewers. And just to give you some uh, perspective in terms of what where that size is out is. You know, all, with the three networks averaging three million viewers uh, in and, prime and time, and about two thirds of those are Fox. It's worth noting. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, a, a hit cable show like AMC Networks' The Walking Dead for their season five finale hit sixteen million viewers. So already operating at a lower level. But with that said, um, there is definitely. Uh, Quite a bit well, the, of the financial incentive there. Yeah, for these the economics companies. are different. Yeah. And because the cable world is rapidly changing, it's becoming more pressing. So, cable networks, especially news networks, mo- make a big portion of their revenue from carriage fees, mm-hmm. meaning 
on your cable bill, you're actually paying a few cents indirectly for those channels. So as we move to more of an a la carte or even a, a limited subscription cable world, if you choose to not have CNN because it's not relevant to you, well, if they lose a few million viewers, that's very relevant money. We've seen the hits ESPN and Disney have taken. So it becomes important not just for them to attract viewers, but to get you to actually care about their programming. Meaning, if you love Anthony Bourdain and otherwise watch Fox News, you might still pay for a package which includes CNN. But if there's nothing on MSNBC that appeals to you, and you have the option of not paying an extra quarter to get it or whatever the, the carriage number is, you may not. So it's becoming a much more pressing financial matter to actually have people care about your station. Yeah, and there's the double whammy kind of that the newsroom touches on. So, you know, you want to have the programming that people want, uh, and then the viewership. So these networks make their money, uh, can make some money from advertising, right? And then you have the loyalty, I guess you might describe it as, so that, you know, when it comes down to some of these more a la carte options uh, and they make their affiliate fees, and just to be clear, those are basically kind of coming out of your cable bill and going to the content providers from the cable company. Yeah, and basically, you know, it, it's it's all a compromise. I mean, you watch the newsroom, and they're 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 pushing integrity and doing the news the right way, but they're all still really good looking. Like they're not putting on ugly newscasters, so they they still understand that there's a balance. And you know, you have a Fox News which is doing you know call it advocacy journalism, and it's very highly rated, but. You know, is there some compromise where you should be doing news or you should be working as advertised and being fair and balanced? It's a it's a very complicated case and it plays out beautifully on the newsroom. Yep. And uh, stepping back for in terms of the investing angle here, uh, as I mentioned earlier, these three major networks that we're talking about are are part of bigger companies. You know, part of their business and. Revenue among the three networks in 2015, I think I have an estimate here, it was uh, gathered, I think, from Pew Research and Nielsen, was estimated to hit about $4 billion. So, that's up over 120% uh, from 2006, so over about uh, the past decade. And Fox News, again, the leader, not only viewership, but they had about $2.3 billion in revenue. And there's a profit number provided, but I'm not sure what kind of profit that is exactly operating, or or, uh, maybe some type of net profit. But... The cable networking programming segment at 21st Century Fox had $13.8 billion of revenue. So, 2.3 is a pretty sizable portion of that. But they had $4.7 billion of operating uh, operating profit. That's about 70% of that uh, total operating profit. So, where this $1.5 billion number comes from, from Fox News, still is a huge portion of that. So, you can see that as much as you know, Will McAvoy and his team on the newsroom <laughs> wanted Newsnight to be... Uh, you know this kind of idealistic take on the nightly news. Uh, I, I can also see the other side with uh, with Pruitt. I think you, you said his name was kind of <laughs> wanting to drive the drive the ratings and drive it the did, revenue. It, and the answer is sort of, and, and that's what you heard in the clip we played before. The answer is they're both right, and you need the two sides fighting against each other. You know, in any newsroom, you know, you talk about the separation between church and state, which is the separation between editorial and advertising, but that's kind of a a 1960s notion. Now you have to be aware of eyeballs. And if you look at it, Fox News is a much bigger business than CNN or MSNBC. And it's not likely that either CNN or MSNBC are going to be able to catch up. They're going to become niche products. Now they might become niche products that serve a specific audience of older people who are willing to pay for them. So they may become premium products. But 
Um, you know, unless you do something leaning very specifically in one direction or switch completely to entertainment programming, then the market for the news on television has disappeared with younger people because you don't have to wait for the news. We've seen the same thing with ESPN and SportsCenter. Nobody under 30 watches sports clips on an hour-long evening show. They go to YouTube or, or other formats. So Fox is sort of operating with a little more protection because... You know, they're doing something to a very specific right-wing audience. CNN and MSNBC, they're going to go up and down as the news cycle goes up and down. And there's no real way to get out of that unless they really change and, you know, and go TMZ or go, you know, a completely different direction. Yeah, and that's reflected uh, in some of the numbers, too, among the financials for CNN. Uh, the estimated revenue in 2015 was about $1.2 billion. The Turner segment where CNN falls, so that includes some of Time Warner's uh, other networks like TBS and TNT, uh, Cartoon Network, exactly. things like that. Uh, you know, the overall uh, segment revenue for Turner was about $10.6 billion, so a smaller piece of that. And, you know, Turner segment, though, overall for the Time Warner is by far the biggest operating profits. I think it makes about 60% of the bottom line. Yeah, I mean, Comcast and Time Warner are two very different stories. Mm -hmm. I don't discount Comcast because of NBC, MSNBC, or even NBC News, because it's such a tiny percentage of the company. Absolutely. It's okay for them to run a boutique news service as kind of a public service. For Time Warner and CNN, it's not as big a company. It doesn't have theme parks and a movie. Well, it has Warner Brothers, but it doesn't have quite the level of movies that Comcast has. So there, I look at CNN as a drag and think that, you know, CNN might be better operating as a quasi-public partnership where the goal is to break even. There are a lot of newspapers working that way. Um, CNN might make more sense partnered with, you know, CBS or or one of the networks to defray costs. But as a standalone money-making cable organization, you're going to have to have a lot more Anthony Bourdain shows and Morgan Spurlocks and things that attract an audience and cooking shows or whatever it is uh, to offset the cost of having news bureaus and flying Anderson Cooper all over the world. Yep. So, last point I wanted to end on uh, was with the affiliate fees, just to give our listeners an idea of what's kind of going into their cable bill if they haven't cut the cord yet or uh, slimmed it down in some way. Uh, the most recent numbers I could find had Fox News. At about one dollar fifty cents per month per subscriber, so for their subscriber or affiliate fee, whereas CNN commanded about sixty cents and MSNBC about half that. So that's basically what you are paying uh, to have and, access to those networks. And and those are pretty good numbers. I mean, aside from ESPN, which is at uh, roughly six dollars and thirty cents last King time I looked. King of the heap, too, admittedly. <laughs> um, but that puts Fox very high up there, and it gives them, you know. It's a huge base of revenue, but as that model changes, you're going to need to sell more ads, or you're going to need to people have people pay directly to subscribe to you. Fox News might make more money if it's sold as a $9.99 a month streaming service. CNN and MSNBC, for the few hundred thousand people they have watching religiously, it wouldn't work. And we saw, you know, when when Al Gore tried to do current with Keith, o- with Keith Oberman, who's about the biggest star in that world, there wasn't really an audience for it. And in a changing cable universe, I think Time Warner and Comcast have to absolutely worry about that. Yep. So, uh, I really like the, that segment, and I, but we have, you know, just a few more minutes here, and we're going to want to move on to this other one, because when you pitched me this idea, I thought it was a really interesting take. Uh, so, I had mentioned Michael Lewis for the second part of the show, and in particular, 
we're going to talk a little bit about Moneyball, at least not specifically the book itself, but kind of that take in terms of uh, you know how to look at stocks. So why don't you kick that off, Dan? So the premise of Moneyball, which is a, sort of a, a tactic used by by the GM of the the Oakland Athletics at, at the time, was baseball players tend to be valued based on their flashy statistics, home runs, batting average, when the reality is the values to be had in baseball are based on less known statistics, on base percentage being one of them. So you might have a very productive player who doesn't hit for power, who doesn't put up the flashy numbers, but he actually has a greater impact on the game. So if you start looking at players based on value, you might be able to bring in guys for a million dollars versus $20 million, and the difference in production is maybe 10%, whereas the difference in money is astronomical. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of the premise of, of Moneyball. And when you apply that to stocks, you can look at some of your more popular stocks, your Apple, your, 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 uh, your Microsoft, Comcast, companies that get a lot of hype, that have a lot of media attention, and maybe they're overpriced because of it, and then really look at companies that sort of have the on-base percentages, have the, fu the fundamentals that make them a good buy, even though they might not be as hyped. Okay, so you know, with that analogy in mind, uh, I know you'd mentioned two, two tickers to me uh, that you kind of wanted to talk about. Um, the first one, which I, I actually really thought this was a, a good example in terms of you know, not getting as much of the headlines, but definitely has shown a lot of progress and growth in uh, in recent years. And I think their business model is putting them in a really interesting position, and that's Sirius XM. Uh, Sirius XM is using the same model as Netflix, but they have less competition. So in, in the old days, they were spending you know fifty million on Oprah and a hundred million on Howard Stern. Those are rough numbers, um, and they were bidding up every piece of available content. Now they've learned that you know aside from Stern, who has sort of a lesser deal, that you don't need to pay a lot of money for content. You can put on some lesser known shows, build them up, have your music programming, you know, buy your sports rights, but they're sort of competing for sports rights against no one when it comes to a national radio audience. And, you know, and you're making subscriber revenue and it's such a low subscription number, less than $20, uh, you know, less than 15 in some cases, that it becomes like Netflix. It's something you don't cancel even if you're not using it that well. Plus, they have the added advantage of it's installed in most cars now. So when you buy a new car, you get a free trial of it. So a lot of their marketing cost has gone away. So you have a company that's just minting, you know, I don't know the exact number, 23 million is the subscriber ballpark. And, you know, so that's maybe half Netflix in the U.S., but it doesn't have the billions of dollars of cost Netflix has, and Netflix is competing with every broadcast network, every streaming network, whereas SiriusXM is competing with if you have a good internet connection or good phone data and you want to listen to podcasts in your car. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And the thing there is just you know, the, like what you mentioned in terms of some of those, at least in terms of Netflix's competition, those content providers, really deep pockets, whereas SiriusXM doesn't face necessarily those kind of challenges. Um, what I actually uh, wanted to jump in for too is I think their actual most recent subscriber numbers came in at around over thirty million actually, so quite a bit. Oh, higher. I'm sorry, a little out of date on uh, that. But that's but again, uh, I guess more you know support for the idea that they have this base. They have really solid, consistent free cash flow generation off of that, and uh, you know I think their churn rates have come in recently at 
uh, really low levels for the company. And churn rates, uh, for listeners who, who, aren't, who aren't sure what that is, that's basically uh, the people who are rolling off the service. Yeah, and it's a base which hasn't shrunk as programming has left. Oprah went away, Martha Stewart went away, Cosmopolitan Radio went away. Lots of things that were big money deals sort of expired, and you didn't see big hits. I think they'd take a big hit when Howard Stern leaves or retires, but... You know, maybe they lose five to ten percent if he doesn't go anywhere else. Maybe they don't. So it's a really solid business. And you know, you talked about the streaming services when Seinfeld came up for bid for streaming. You know, you had Hulu and Amazon and Netflix all bidding it up, and it went for I believe a million dollars an episode. In radio, you simply don't have those costs. I mean, local radio isn't. You know, there's very few national personalities and people who are getting a lot of money. Um, you know, so it's it's really a free course for for SiriusXM. Yep, and uh, just to touch on the last one here, and again, it's kind of similar uh, the way when you described it to me. I was I was not as familiar with it, but I did used to be a wrestling fan. So, what do you <laughs> so think? World, WWE World Wrestling Network. Entertainment. Yep. It's a very similar business model, you know. And obviously, they have other revenue streams. They have live events. They have their TV contracts. But the most promising number they have is the WWE Network, which is in. Uh, 1.4, 1.5 million homes. It changes every every few weeks. But it's been a steadily growing number. And that's a hardcore dedicated audience that's paying $9.99 a month for the programming. And as that technology sort of rolls out around the world, it's reasonable to think they're going to build to 3, maybe 4 million on top of all their other revenue streams. So, you you know, you're getting a very fixed cost programming. There There's no major other wrestling organizations that they're competing with for talent. So they have sort of a very strong ability to control cost and they have an endless amount of archival programming. So you get that Netflix model, but once again, holding the programming cost down with the recurring subscriptions. And it's going to take time to build. It hasn't, you know, it hasn't grown as fast as they would have expected, but wrestling has been a resilient business in the US for something like 90 years. There's no reason to think that's going to change anytime soon. Yep. And they, the company launched uh, this kind of the streaming uh, service in February of 2014. So it's only been out a little over two years. And as Dan mentioned, it's expanded you know, all over the world at this point, $9.99 per month. And it's, yeah. it's shaken up their, their previous model when they used to do a lot of these pay-per-view events. And now it's kind of given them a bit more of that stability. Right. Pa- pay-per-view, which used to cost you know 39 to 59 maybe a little bit more if you wanted an HD, would depend on having the right programming. So if they had the right matchup, maybe they would do 1.2 million and you know make a lot of money. But if they had the wrong matchup, they might do 180,000 or even less than that when it comes to buys. So now, as a fan, for the price of one pay-per-view every six months, you get all, I think it's going to be 16 of their pay-per-views plus all this other programming. But most of the programming they're doing, aside from the live shows and the pay-per-views, is very low cost in studio talking heads or old clips sort of strung together, you know, the 50 greatest tag teams from 1980 or whatever it is. It's all very inexpensive archival programming. And it also can bring back lapsed fans as their kids get old enough to want to watch wrestling. The the guy who grew up a Hulk Hogan fan might say, yeah, I'll spend 10 bucks for this for my kid. And once again, it becomes something you just don't cancel. I mean, I'm a WWE Network subscriber and I remember to watch it maybe once every four months. There you go. Uh, so there, uh, WWE Network and SiriusXM, kind of uh, your your two, at least the time that we have to talk about uh, as this kind of like money ball approach, uh, with maybe not he- taking all the headlines 
in you know on the Wall Street Journal, for example, but to have that 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 base of uh, subscribers or users uh, that has given them a pretty solid business model. Yeah, they're one of, you know in baseball terms to put it back to Moneyball, they're a hitter who hits 280 who can play five positions who walks a lot. You know maybe doesn't put up a lot of home runs, but if you look at the impact on the game, and in the case of the two companies, their ability to return revenue to shareholders, it's much higher than you'd think it would be. Okay, well, uh, Dan, that was great discussion. Uh, loved touching on uh, on Newsroom and Moneyball. Uh, thanks for thanks for joining us. I'm gonna go watch the last episode of the Newsroom again. There you go. Uh, so that's a wrap for us today. But you can continue the conversation via Twitter at MF Industry Focus or send us any questions via email to industryfocus at fool.com. You can also enjoy the other great podcasts from the Motley Fool by checking out fool.com/podcast. People in the program may own companies discussed in the show, and the Molly Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear during the program. Thanks for listening, and Fool on!